You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning. We certainly are thankful for the time that we have to be able to be together this Lord's, or this isn't the Lord's Day, this is Saturday. You see, when you get up here and just go into old habits, I'm used to preaching on Sunday morning, but this is Saturday morning. And so we are certainly glad to have another day where we're able to be together. And we invite you to be taking out your Bibles, to turning to the book of Jonah. We are going to be looking at that book this morning. Because the book of Jonah I find to be a very fascinating book. One, it's not really about what the prophet's message is. It's more about the prophet himself. And that's a fascinating thing altogether because it's very unique in compared to all the other prophets that we would call the minor prophets. And the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah is one that we oftentimes tell to our children and grandchildren. It is something that we have come to know pretty well. We probably have come to realize that it's not just a children's story. That there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more depth to it than what sometimes meets the eye. The book of Jonah is a fascinating tale that takes us on a tour of God's mercy and His grace and forgiveness, while also showing us a very ugly side, that some people don't appreciate God's mercy or God's forgiveness. Sometimes we don't like to admit that. The book of Jonah can take us and help us see what might be a very dark part of life. Jonah was a prophet who encountered God's mercy in some unique ways. And yet he wanted to flee God's presence. And he grew angry with those who received mercy. It's a very interesting twist for someone who is a prophet of God. And so I hope you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah. We're going to be studying there. And as Jay announced, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Jonah itself. But to really understand who Jonah is, we're also going to have to turn to another passage of Scripture. Maybe something that is a little bit unique and different to us. But if you notice in Jonah chapter 1, in the very first verse, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, and we know what that God tells him to go to Nineveh. But what I want you to see there in the very first verse is Jonah and how he's introduced to us as the son of Amittai. And we may kind of gloss over a lot of those kinds of familial connections where we get a little bit of lineage kind of information And this might come as a surprise to you. I know it did to me several years ago. I was actually in Branson, Missouri and went to the Sight and Sound Theater and saw the Jonah production. Maybe some of you did. But what you realize and what I kind of thought was maybe their their twist on something that they just kind of added some background information that wasn't necessarily biblical. And come to find out, I learned something when I was there. Because Jonah is mentioned another time in our Old Testament. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 14... In 2 Kings chapter 14, what we see here is that 
this is the first place in the scriptures that we are actually introduced to Jonah. In 2 Kings chapter 14 and in verse 25, we see here that Jeroboam the uh, second he restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. Just notice that they're talking about the same Jonah here in Second Kings chapter 14 and verse 25. And what's interesting about this is that he is prophesying to Israel. He has a very positive message for the children of Israel where he is prophesying during the very wicked reign of King Jeroboam II. And despite all of Jeroboam's wickedness and the evil and the idolatry that was promoted during his time, here Jonah is, he has a prophecy that says, Israel, the borders are going to be restored. God is going to bless you. Even though you don't deserve it, God is going to show you mercy. Jeroboam did not lead Israel out of idolatry. He just continued in the sins and the idolatrous worship that Jeroboam, the first of son of Nabi, had introduced to Israel. Jeroboam was a very wicked and evil king. And he did not encourage first and second commandment loyalty where they would serve God and him alone where they would continue to look at idols and serve those idols. And yet, despite those sinful ways, what God was willing to do was expand the borders of the kingdom. And so God allowed wicked Jeroboam to have success. Have you ever thought about that? How wicked people can have success and how God might even... Allow that and bless that. If you continue in, in 2 Kings 14 and verse 26, it says, For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, which was very bitter. For there was neither bond nor free, nor was there any helper for Israel. The Lord did not say that He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Here He is. God has been willing to save Israel through a very wicked king. God shows His mercy. And He uses Jeroboam and sinful Israel during this time. That's a fascinating thing to think about for Jonah's beginning as a prophet because here he is. He is preaching and teaching his own people. He's speaking to Israel. And he has a very positive message for them. And you think about that. You think about how people would perceive and associate positive things with Jonah. We like someone who's going to tell us good news, don't we? We like someone who is going to promise us good fortune. You turn on the TV and you, at this time of year in particular, we're in the midst of an election cycle and all the politicians are out there and they want to promise good things for us, right? Because they want our vote. <laughs> We like those kinds of things. We like people that would tell us good things and promise us good fortune. And whenever that actually follows through, we say that's a hero. That he actually kept his promise. 
And that's what I think would have been associated with Jonah. He would have been associated with this hero kind of idea that he is someone who is on our side. He is for us. Because look, he prophesied about us and something good happened. God allowed Jeroboam, this wicked ruler, to save Israel. God allowed this even though Israel was wicked and deserved punishment. You think about how God had repeatedly just shown mercy and kindness to Israel. In the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, this is a passage that has become a favorite of mine in helping me understand some things about the character and the nature of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, and in verse 4, as Moses is preaching to the children of Israel in in really his last series of messages to Israel, and as he is trying to encourage them to be faithful, that we've been wandering in this wilderness for 40 years, and he wants them to realize that they are about to go into the promised land, and they don't need to take that for granted. And he says in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 4, Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, that it's the Canaanites, because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Know then... It is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. I've likened that sometimes to a football coach. If you, you might think about the pregame speech where a coach would try to pump up the players and say, we're going to go out and we're going to win. How would you like that kind of coach that would say, actually, you're terrible, you're the worst team ever, and you're going to lose this game. Actually, you might win it, but that's not because you deserve it, not because you've worked hard, and that kind of thing. That wouldn't be a very fun message to hear, would it? That's kind of what Moses is doing. He's saying, you're terrible. (laughs) You're stubborn. And yet, you might actually be successful, but it's not because of anything that you've done here on your own. That's how God has always been dealing with Israel. He has always shown mercy to them when they did not deserve it. He's always shown kindness to them when they did not deserve it. In verses 24 through 27, at the end of that chapter, he says, You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. So I fell down before the Lord the forty days and nights which I did because the Lord had said He would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people, even your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Moses is saying, I pleaded on your behalf, and God relented. That is the very definition of mercy. That's mercy in action. Israel had repeatedly been shown God's mercy. And Jonah becomes an instrument for God's mercy to Israel. 
in the book of 2 Kings. And he gets to preach a message to his own people. God is with you. And God will continue to bless you. Jonah was privileged to be able to prophesy about God's mercy to Israel and how God continued to show favor to Israel even against Israel's enemies. But I think the same words of Moses ought that he said to Israel ought to have been something to consider that it's not because of your greatness. It's because of the wickedness of others. But Jonah is a prophet who is walking in the steps of Moses in many ways. He's preaching a message of God's great mercy when we are first introduced to him in 2 Kings chapter 14. But as we want to study from the book of Jonah, as we consider the message that he preaches in the book of Jonah, as we know, God called Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. City of Nineveh being the capital city of the Assyrians. And he is called to go to the Assyrians and to preach to them. The Assyrians were a very wicked people. And they were growing in their presence in the Fertile Crescent. And they were a fierce threat for the northern tribes of Israel during the days of the divided kingdom. And as I'm sure we know the story very well, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, and of course he goes right away, right? (laughs) All right, making sure y'all are still awake. No, he doesn't go right away. He runs. He runs away. He goes to Tarshish, he gets on a boat, there's a storm that arises. And you have to wonder why Jonah would do that. You read in the first chapter of the book of Jonah, and you wonder why he would do that. And later on, Jonah's, Jonah gives us an indication that he knew God, what God would do. Because here he is, Jonah is an instrument of God's mercy. He has been used that way before for Israel, and now he seems to be afraid that God is actually going to do the same thing for Israel's enemy. That's not going to make him nearly as popular now, is it? And of course we know that the great storm that took place while Jonah was on the boat and He said, throw me overboard, and he was sold by a great fish. And he was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. In Jonah chapter 2, he prays to God. And God tells Jonah to once again go to the city of Nineveh after he is thrown back on to dry land. 
In Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh, will be overthrown. He goes through the city and he doesn't preach a message of mercy here. He's saying, in 40 days there's going to be punishment. God is going to bring judgment upon you. He doesn't preach a positive message of hope or mercy or forgiveness or salvation for Nineveh. He warned them of how God was going to destroy them. Going back to Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2, when God first told Jonah to go to Nineveh, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God had seen their great wickedness. He had seen their sin. And so Jonah is warning them of God's impending judgment and their own doom. But what is interesting is after the preaching of Jonah going through the city, there's a change that takes place. There's a transformation that happens. In chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let beasts, Herd or flock, taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? Verse 9. God may turn and relent and withdraw His burning anger so that we will not perish. What's so remarkable is that the people of Nineveh, these Gentiles, these people who are not God's chosen people, the enemy of God's chosen people, they actually respond very positively here to the message of Jonah. And they begin to repent and they bring forth the fruit of repentance. They believed in God. They proclaim a fast where no one, not even their animals, are supposed to eat or drink. And the king of Nineveh, he humbles himself before the king of kings. You think about that. Can you imagine that kind of change and that kind of drastic revival among a people that we would hate? That we would consider our worst enemies? 
think it's hard for us to imagine. Our country is so large, but can you imagine if someone went to Washington, D.C. and started preaching and teaching and the president even heard about it and he wanted to hear and then he proclaims a fast and he says, we've done wrong and maybe God will relent. That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? And what I find remarkable is that what Jonah is saying in verse 4, I know we're just getting kind of a summation of what Jonah's message was, but he's saying, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He's preaching a message of judgment, but then what do you see in verse 9? The king of Nineveh, he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. He understands the concept of mercy, doesn't he? He understands it. He says, maybe God will relent. Maybe God will show mercy to us. And you, you think about the words of Jonah and what I believe Jonah is preaching. It's not that Jonah's message is untrue. God sent him to preach to, Jonah, to the Ninevites. He preached. He wanted Jonah to go and preach to them a message of judgment. But God's, even God's prophecies can sometimes be conditional, can't they? That there is judgment unless you repent. If you meet the condition of repentance, then what might happen? God might relent. And that's exactly what He begins to do, as we might see in the next chapter. But what I want you to begin to see is that God has shown mercy for Israel. Now he is showing mercy to Nineveh, or at least the king of Nineveh is hoping for mercy. And as we know the story, God does show mercy to Nineveh. And God's mercy shines once more to a very undeserving people. The people of Nineveh, they are very wicked. And yet, what do they do? They repent. Just as Israel had been wicked and evil, Nineveh was too. Sometimes we like the idea that we want judgment for our enemies, but mercy for our friends, right? We want our friends or our family to be treated with mercy. We want to have, re have God relent or others relent. Maybe we want the law to relent if they're in trouble with the law. But if they're an enemy of ours or if they're someone that we don't like very much, we want justice, don't we? <laughs> and that's the tension that's going on here in the book of Jonah. Israel. They are being ruled by Jeroboam II, a very wicked and evil king. The children of Israel are in idolatry. They don't deserve mercy. They didn't deserve a good prophecy and where God would bless them, but God shows mercy. But God is constant, isn't He? And even here with Israel's enemy, when they do deserve wrath, when they deserve judgment, when they deserve God's punishment, 
God is willing to extend mercy to them because of their repentance. And what is so remarkable about that is the turn of events. And no matter who we are and how many times we may commit sin, God promises to forgive us if we repent. If we will repent, God extends mercy in spite of our wickedness and because of our repentance. Encountering God's mercy is a wonderful thing. But then, as you continue on, sometimes that's where we stop with the story of Jonah. We kind of say, oh, okay, chapter 3, that's it. And we might briefly talk about chapter 4, because chapter 4, that's kind of a booger. That's kind of hard. Because chapter 4 and verse 1 But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Have you ever just stopped and wondered why Jonah became angry? By God's mercy and his relenting of destruction? When you think about it, when he was in Israel preaching to his own people, he had a very positive message, he would have gotten some notoriety. He's recorded in the book of 2 Kings. He prophesied of Israel's success. He had grown, perhaps grown famous because of how God's mercy was given to Israel. And maybe with some success and with some uh, fame that he had received from his own people, maybe... He had allowed that to go to his head. It allowed fame and notoriety to define who he is. But here he is, he's preaching to Israel's greatest enemy at that point. And he thought he might have had a good message to bring back. Hey, God destroyed them. We don't have to worry about them anymore. Nope. Now he has to carry a message. God showed them mercy. Yes, they've repented. Yes, they believe in God. But they're still around. And it may just take a little bit of time for them to go back to their old ways. Now he's going to have to go home and tell people that God had shown mercy to Israel's enemy. In chapter 4 and verse 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. What an egomaniac here Jonah is. 
where he starts throwing in what is important to recognize is that this is basically language that God uses to define who he is in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 34. When God is revealing himself to Moses. And Jonah is throwing those words right back at God. He says, I knew who you were. I knew that you would show mercy. I knew that you would show kindness. And that you're patient. And that's why I didn't want to come in the first place. Doesn't that show a huge contrast between the people of Nineveh and Jonah? Who's supposed to be this prophet of God? He says he knew that God would relent of the calamity that Nineveh was supposed to receive. Jonah is the perfect case of seeing justice for my enemies, but mercy for my friends. And then he says something very shocking in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Jonah himself would rather die than see mercy be extended to his enemies. And if God had done that in Jonah's current condition, it would have been the opposite of mercy. It would have been justice. But you know what? God is merciful. And He shows mercy to Jonah. Remember what happens in verse 4. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. Then he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Jonah's happy about this plant that has shown up, but he's not happy that these people have repented. That just shows you a whole lot about Jonah here. Notice what God has done. He's given Jonah some relief, hasn't he, from the heat. He's given him some shade to deliver him from his discomfort. Jonah in no way in these verses deserves that kind of treatment, does he? And so God does not kill him whenever he may have deserved it, just based on the principle of justice. He gave him a plant for shade. But then God appointed a worm, it says in verse 7, when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. He hasn't learned anything, has he? He hasn't learned anything about God's mercy. He continues to be 
self-righteous, indignant, and stubborn. In verse 9, then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. (laughs) Think about that. He did nothing. God gave him that plant. And he says, I have perfectly good reason to be angry about it. This all begs the question, has Jonah really repented from all the problems that we see in chapter 1 where he's running away from the task that God has shown him and given to him? And at first introduction, it looks like Jonah has a lot of potential. He could have gone down in the history books, we might say. Someone like Moses... Because he even recalls Moses the description that God gave to Moses in verse 2 when he describes how God is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. However, what I think stands as a contrast between Moses is that Moses did not buy into Israel's Greatness and righteousness. He understood that Israel received all of God's blessing because of God's grace and because of God's mercy. But I think Jonah thought they did deserve it. They certainly did not deserve to have the kind of enemy like Assyria. And Assyria did not deserve to be treated well. He boasted in Israel's greatness, their pride, their arrogance, their self-righteousness. Jonah forgot that if God could show mercy to Israel, then He could show mercy to any nation on earth. Jonah did not appreciate God's mercy. In fact, he was angered by God's mercy toward the Ninevites and unappreciative of God's mercy for him. And sometimes we can be like that, can't we? Sometimes we're only happy when we receive mercy or our friends receive mercy. But if mercy is ever shown to our enemies, that's just a step too far. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 43, Jesus says something that's very shocking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what they said. Jonah lived by that, didn't he? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends His reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus says, don't be like Jonah. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So how do we respond when we see God's mercy? As we mentioned at the beginning of our study, Jonah, the book of Jonah, it gives us a tour of God's mercy. We've seen God be merciful to Israel. You have to have a little bit of background information to to see that. But God has been merciful to Israel through Jonah. 
You have God's mercy to the people of Nineveh through the conduit of Jonah once again as an instrument of God's mercy. And then you have Jonah in spite of himself where God shows him mercy. And I think we need to ask ourselves, how do we respond when we begin to encounter, when we see God's mercy given to people? What we see from Jonah is that some people run from the opportunities to share God's mercy. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go and preach a message of God's mercy. How many times do we want to go even to our own worst enemy and share with him the gospel? How many times do we want to do that? Do we run from opportunities to share God's mercy and the message of salvation? What we also see in the book of Jonah is that some will repent when hearing about God's judgment and presumably about God's mercy. Or at least perchance that they could receive mercy if they will repent of their ways. The Ninevites, they says, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw His burning anger so that we will not perish. Sometimes we need to repent. We need to humble ourselves. When we come to recognize that we have sinned and we violated God's law, we need to say, I need God's mercy. And I need to repent. Perhaps God will forgive me. And then we see Jonah's own example in chapter 4, where people resent God's mercy. Or they resent God. And that's the problem with Jonah in many ways. He says, I knew you would do this. I knew this would be what you would do. Because you're a God who is gracious and compassionate. Like that's a bad thing, right? No, Jonah would want that for himself. But he resented God's mercy being shown to others who he felt did not deserve that. The worst thing that we could ever do is ignore God's mercy because if we do not repent, he promises retribution and repayment for sin. In Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, when Jonah is spitting all those words back to God, and he says at the end, he says, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger. It doesn't mean that God never gets angry, right? He's just slow to get there. God will judge us if we ignore His mercy and we remain in our sins. We need to also recognize that the best thing that we could do is to receive God's mercy. 
accept His compassion, His love, and His forgiveness. Jonah teaches us that in a very strange kind of way. And that is what has been promised through Jesus Christ. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. That through Jesus, we can be saved. How do you respond when you encounter God's mercy? God is a gracious God. Is God full of mercy? And through Jesus Christ, we can come to know that. Appreciate your good attention this morning. We, that will, I guess, conclude our first session this morning. But if you would begin to, uh, let's end with a word of prayer. Pray with me. Our gracious and merciful God and Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for the mercy that you've shown to each and every one of us. We know that we have sinned. We know that we have fallen short of your glory. And we know that we do not deserve the goodness and the kindness that you have extended to us. We ask that you would help us to always be an instrument of righteousness and mercy and grace to extend forgiveness to others, to share the message of salvation with those around us. And ask that you would help us to always put you first and to serve you and to trust in your love and the forgiveness and salvation that you have offered to us through Jesus, your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.